This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Do you remember what it was like being a teenager? It's tough, right? Some days you feel like everyone is against you. Some days you'll feel like you're going to make no friends, you don't like your friends, or they don't like you, that things will never get better. Now, some of that is a normal part of being a teenager and the hormones and the changes and all of that, but sometimes it is beyond that. There's this new report out from UNICEF, which was published today, that took a look at the well-being of kids in Canada. And this UNICEF report found that more than one in four Canadian children report feeling sad or hopeless for long periods of time. And around one in three are experiencing symptoms linked to mental distress each week. That's things like having headaches or stomach aches. Now, that can be really challenging for parents, right? Trying to navigate their children's mental health. How much of that is a normal part of being a teenager? How much of it, though, is beyond that when you should really be paying attention and maybe get them some help when it's more serious? That's what we're going to talk about now with our guest. Dr. Ashley Miller is with us, a psychiatrist at BC Children's Hospital. Dr. Miller, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. Is this something that you hear from parents as well, that it's tough to kind of figure out what what the real situation is with their teen? Absolutely. Uh, in my office, but I also just had a conversation with a friend of mine earlier this week about this exact question. And what is it that people wonder? Like, there is a, a normal level of kind of grumpiness to being a teenager, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, there's a normal level of grumpiness to just being a human being in general. True. And we all have tough moments, um, experience different emotions, the full range of emotions. I don't even like to call them negative emotions because sadness, anxiety, shame, they're part of the human experience. So we, it would be abnormal to think that a child or a teenager shouldn't feel uh, those emotions from time to time. But when should a parent go, okay, there's something more going on here? So it's an excellent question. And Parents really do know their kids and they tend to have a gut instinct when their child's mood or behavior has been persistently off for a period of time. And I think that's what they need to trust, uh, that sense that things aren't improving, that even when the situation for the child or teen that day is going well, their, their mood isn't perking up or they're having persistent problems with their friends or there's Um, other kinds of physical symptoms like problems with sleep, appetite, that persist. Again, that's when they usually start to naturally get concerned. Right. So there's a balance, right? Because we know that some teens just like to sleep a lot, but sometimes can that mask depression? Yeah. Sometimes being very irritable, uh, we think it's just crankiness or regular teen angst, but if it's every day for several days in a row and it's not varying very much, then that can be a sign of depression, oversleeping, undersleeping, not eating, losing weight, or gaining a lot of weight, and starting to engage in risky behaviors. All of those can be what we call sort of hidden uh, signs of depression. Is there an age where children are particularly vulnerable to mental health issues? Uh, The transition points tend to be vulnerable. So if we're looking at anxiety, there are periods like starting kindergarten or if there is a a big change, a family move, a loss of a friend uh, to moving away, that kind of thing. 
Children will be more prone to anxiety at those times. Transition to high school is another major time or the transition out of high school to post-secondary. Right. Is, is asking questions then the way to go? I know for sometimes for parents, you tend to get slapped back, right? When you ask some questions and maybe parents are a little nervous about that. Yeah, it is a tricky thing because, of course, you want information. It feels like it's hard to act without asking questions. So what we recommend is to try to just keep conversation going at all times, whether you're worried or not, in easy ways of walking together, driving in the car, talking about casual things first. It's hard if you've been a bit disconnected to just lead in with, so, like, how's your mood lately? You know, you want to talk about just regular things and uh, even sit down with them, ask them what they're playing on their game console or what they're interested in online these days. And then it becomes easier to ask the more difficult questions. And it's always nice to just ask in a really non-judgmental way because kids are primed to think that parents are asking because they just want to then criticize them and tell them how they should be doing it differently. So it's that open approach, non-judgmental your true concern shines through. Right. But what about the kids who say, Dr. Mellon, I'm sure there are plenty like this. Oh, everything's fine. Who, who keep that information from their parents? How do you get to their issues? Well, yeah, that is a very common response. And so again, ideally you want to be doing something together. It's very hard for kids to just sort of take a break from their life and, and get into the more pointed questions. So shoot hoops together, go for a walk, get some ice cream, go to the mall, you know, things that they like. And as part of the conversation, if they say, oh, everything's fine, then you can just ask them about who their friends are, who they're hanging out with, what's going on with their friend group. It's often easier for teens to talk about their friends and themselves. And then you can weave it more into, and what about you? Like, oh, that's going on with so-and-so, but what about you? How has it been with for you lately with your friends, with substances, online, that kind of thing? Right. And what are some of the signs of that, do you think? Like, changing friends, you know, all of a sudden when new friends show up and they're talking a lot about somebody new that you've never heard of before, like, is that a sign? I saw, No, I wouldn't ever look at that as um, a sign of a mental health issue. Uh, teens are often changing friends. That's pretty typical. Um, I, th- I think it's really more if, you, if you're seeing that your teen just seems unhappy or their behavior has changed in a in a way that you're concerned about, that's when you worry. But no, parents often jump to like, oh, well, they're hanging out with these new friends. I'm not so sure I like that. But to teens, friends are vital. So we want to approach the idea of new friends with a lot of um, open-mindedness and curiosity. Now, we've been talking about bullying for, you know, decades now. The UNICEF report also found that about a quarter of children report being bullied as well. Why are we not Mm -hmm. able to gain traction on this issue? You know, it's an excellent question. There's a there's an excellent resource for anyone who's interested, prevnet.ca. It has all the information you ever want about bullying. And I think it's just because so much of it is happening not right in front of adult eyes. A lot of it is either on the playground, not in the classroom, or, of course, online. And humans are tribal. You know, kids mm. will divide up into groups and... It's us against them is a way we see working in adults as well. Um, So we really want to teach kids about kindness, about what we we say call being an upstander, not a bystander. As soon as you speak up and say, hey, something doesn't feel right and how this is going, whether it's an online 
uh, activity, a group chat, or you're watching something go down in front of you, it, all it takes is one person to get on side with the victim to change the dynamic. And that's a, a fairly simple thing to do, although kids find that it feels hard. Right. It's, you make such a great point, though. We expect kids to do better when a lot of times as adults, we can't do better. It's hard for everyone. We, we want kids, and there's wonderful programs now in schools, Mindfulness in the Schools, Roots of Empathy, that try to teach this stuff from an early age on um, finding your own happiness through positive activities instead of putting other people down. But these, yeah, these are tough things. These are lessons. So our kids are learning this. And we're trying to teach our kids and teens uh, the value of kindness and compassion and how to feel good about yourself by including others, by lifting others up. Yeah, you talked about resources for parents. And so if they do have some questions, um, you know, where can they go? Where can kids go if they, if they need some help? So another excellent website uh, and resource is the Kelty Mental Health Resource Center. And the website is Kelty, K-E-L-T-Y, mentalhealth.ca. There's information for parents, for youth, for teachers on supporting uh, kids with mental health issues and also those questions of how do I know if something is really wrong with my child or teen or not. Boundary BC uh, is another excellent website and resource and very uh, youth-specific information information about how do you talk to your teen, about uh, your concerns for their mental health. Right. Uh, yeah, there's lots out there. We're talking about a very stressful time of year for parents and for students out there, for teenagers in particular, going back to school, fitting in, getting back to that routine. But when can you tell that you might be having a problem or that your kids might be having a problem? We were talking about this new UNICEF report that came out today that shows that more than one in four Canadian children report feeling sad or hopeless for long periods of time. And around one in three experience symptoms linked to mental distress every week, things like headaches and stomach aches. So if you have a question for Dr. Ashley Miller, you can give us a call 604-280-9898. And Dr. Miller, let me just ask you as well here, those physical symptoms that they're talking about that, how common are those? Physical symptoms are very common for all of us actually when experiencing emotions or part of emotions. So you can have, uh, you, you know, you feel the flush of your cheeks when you feel embarrassed but to feel more intense physical symptoms like stomach aches or headaches, very common for children who are experiencing anxiety. And uh, kids often express their emotional distress and physical symptoms. But it's actually true at all ages that if you think of getting butterflies in your stomach before writing an exam, uh, those are very common. Right. And how good are we as adults even figuring out when those symptoms happened? It takes, uh, it takes knowing yourself. It takes a while to figure out hmm, when my body is doing this, maybe actually I'm feeling stressed or maybe this is a sign that I'm angry or sad. So not always. It sort of depends on the person and, and how um, in tune they are with their, their body and physical symptoms. Right. We've talked a lot, we've heard a lot in recent years about the level of anxiety in kids. Is that something that you think is increasing out there? There's uh, some reports to suggest that it it may be increasing. It's hard to know how much we're just getting better at detecting it. And there's also lots of uh, excellent initiatives to help kids with stress, such as mindfulness in the schools. And 
I think more parents becoming aware again of the importance of free play and of not being overscheduled. So my hope is that it's it's coming around. Right. Free play. It's funny how we have to put a name on that now, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Yeah. <laughs> Used to be you just said, go play or go or didn't say anything, just expected them to amuse themselves. Yeah, exactly. And as as you were, again, talking about the UNICEF report, just thinking about loneliness and how we've, we've read about loneliness for adults. But I think part of our kids having so much access to uh to digital technology is that we forget that that kind of connection is not the same as face-to-face connection. And I think our, our we're really learning this. And I, I hope that uh, moving forward, we start to uh, come back to some of the older ways of being with each other. Yeah, I've noticed as well, another trend in some schools is providing an area for some rough play. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, physical activity and uh, all those natural instincts that kids have, their kids know what they need, right? It's, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's so true. So true. Uh, so just before I let you go, a quick question about those physical symptoms. Do you think sometimes with parents, we hear, oh, I have a stomach ache, you go, yeah, 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 you're fine. Like, how do we come get over that? Well, yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's also, that's not the worst thing to do because we, we, we don't want to overreact either. Yeah. And I, I mean, there some empathy is helpful, but being practical is also helpful. So we do want to help our kids recognize over time that anxiety, that physical symptoms, let's say tummy hurts, may be in part related to how they're feeling stressed about going to school. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean we're going to just only provide mounds of empathy and, and not get them out the door. So both are important. (laughs) So true. Dr. Miller, thanks for your time. Okay, thank you. That is Dr. Ashley Miller, psychiatrist at BC Children's Hospital.